today it is my great pleasure to welcome Professor Tony Young to the Startup Talk podcast. For those of you who are not in healthcare, Tony has led and mentored in a program that has seen hundreds of NHS staff make their ideas a reality for the benefit of patients at large. We get an insight into the personality that has helped drive this program forward, that what motivates him and what keeps him going. This is a fascinating insight into a fascinating and complex individual. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. One honour it is to have on the podcast today the legendary Professor Tony Young, recently awarded OBE, NHS doctor and mentor to many a medical entrepreneur. Welcome, Tony. The Clinical Entrepreneurs Programme is probably the world's most successful projects of its kind, essentially turning clinicians into entrepreneurs and a whole lot more besides. So what motivates a successful surgeon like yourself to start something like that? Well, actually, let's take a step back. Let's, let's, take, let's go a step before that. What motivates you to become a doctor in the first place? And then we can go to that question. Okay, all right. Um, for, first of all, um, uh, thanks for asking me to come and spend some time with you. Um, and um, I think, uh, so I've become more aware of the reasons why I went into healthcare um, when I went through some coaching recently. And if people haven't been through professional coaching, I'd really recommend it. It really helps you understand your why of why you've gone and done those things. I'm also a great, um, I've got a, my PhD is in a combination of neuroscience and plasma physics, um, well, and which is rocket science really um, uh, for what we did. And so in, in, but when I did that, um, I, I, my love already of the brain and how it worked and how it was put together just um, came to the fore and I learned even more about it. And um, so when I was at um, NHS England, my... Um, uh, boss uh, at the time um, said to me, Tony, I think you could do with some coaching. And I fully embrace it if someone says, I think you should go for it. And I did this. And with my knowledge of neuropsychology and neuroscience that had gone on before, and particularly the work of someone called Bob Keegan, who's, I think, the leading professor, or probably the greatest living psychologist at the moment, but um, a professor of postgraduate um, uh, at the Harvard Postgraduate School for Education and professor of organizational psychology there. And his book, Immunity to Change, is quite amazing with helping you look at your behaviors, the assumptions that form those behaviors, and then the core values that drive your assumptions. So understanding why I do medicine, getting back to your answer, is about understanding what your core values are, what the marker posts in your life are along the way that have helped you to kind of get to where you get to. Now, coaching helps you uncover your core values. So when I went, I was very fortunate. I had Dame Una O'Brien, who was a former permanent secretary at the Department of Health, be my coach a few years ago. And it was a oh, it was, it's like such a luxury for your brain. Um, you know, someone there who's led our healthcare system for a number of years, then um, focuses on you and what's right for you and what's going on with you at the moment, and um, helps reflect back to you what you've said to them. And she starts off by saying, "So, Tony, tell me the story of your life." And you go through these. Um, uh, you go through this, and she said, "What I want you to do is just go with your feelings." And I would pick out the most slightly odd stories about things that happened to me as a child, things that I thought told part of who I was. 
and what she would reflect back to me and she said well can you see there's a common theme running through some of the stories you've told me um, of injustice of inequality of how your community is really important to you of how doing new things invention and innovation are really important as well um, and you love education and science and people can you understand why someone who had all those core values might choose medicine as a career and I went oh yeah is it really that easy to work out because it felt right at the time and it felt right because I had all these core values around those things I'm interested what 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 odd things came up from your childhood that you thought contributed to? oh no they're just not odd it's just well I am odd in many ways but it's just <laughs> um um it's just those you you tell the authentic story of who you were so for me both my parents worked for charities my whole life so I really had a real sense of community and contributing and I recall this incident one day where my mum in the 1970s um, used to earn this, I, it's unbelievable, it was called this, it was called a um, battered wives club, I kid you not, That's a, so women from the local council estate who'd been um, uh, physically assaulted by their partners would come to this group wow. to come together and I, you couldn't believe it it was called that but that's what it was yeah. called and one day my mum brought this little girl home with her because she couldn't go she was called donna she would have been five or six same age as my brother and i and she brought home what we thought was this beautiful girl this playmate um who ended up and social services said to mum you can't we can't take her home you'll have to have her for a few weeks and kind of fostering really I suppose for a bit or a place of safety for her but as a five-year-old I didn't understand that so we were my brother and I would play with this little girl we have, were having a wonderful time there's an extra friend in the house and one day she said to um uh, us she said shall we play mummies and daddies and of course my brother and I really excited oh yeah we'll definitely go and do that um, and, and so she went upstairs to the wardrobe, she took out a suitcase, she filled it with clothes, she took it to the top of the stairs, she threw it down the staircase so it split open, spilling everything as it went down, and she said, now get out. Wow. And my brother and I just went, what? This beautiful, wonderful little girl who is our friend, that's what she thinks playing mummies and daddies are, we were going to go and you know, have a cup of tea or make some dinner or, or, or do something. And so things like that stick in your mind of why was this girl's experience of life so different? And yet she was still a wonderful human being. And so sorry, I, have, I don't think I've told that story very much before, <laughs> but it's things like that. And you tell, and your coach says, well, can you see how from a young age inequality and injustice, because it wasn't just that that little girl didn't have the same upbringing and experience that you'd had, one of love and nurturing. I had a wonderful childhood. My parents were amazing. Um, and, um, and, and, and those kind of things sear themselves on your hard drive and they become really important guiding values for you. And there were several other things that happened to me through. So when I was about six or seven, I was really naughty. I took, my parents were, we had some mice in the garage um, and my parents were putting, I don't know, traps down or poison. And I thought this was horrible because they were beautiful creatures. I didn't realise that they were actually vermin and you should go near them. But so I turned a wooden toy box I had. I took my father's drill, drilled a hole in the top of it and turned it into a humane mousetrap. So you could catch these mice in this big wooden box. And then I could release them in the field at the back of our house. And the first night... I went down in the morning, I was so excited and I 
the door had gone down on my toy box and inside I peeped and there was this beautiful little creature and I just I released it at the bottom of the garden or whatever. And I just felt amazing that something. My father was horrified that his six-year-old boy had taken his electric drill and drilled without telling him <laughs> and drilled through one of his toys. But to me, taking this beautiful thing that had no one else that was fighting for them um, and coming up with a new way of saving them, which is what I did. And so kind of inventing, doing things in new and different ways. That's an amazing story of how you've, how you have that spark for innovation, but also a, um, an empathy, I guess, that is kind of required. So I think it's really, it is, it is true. You've got, I think you've got, to, I think both my parents working in charities and, and you kind of get that because they are looking after your fellow humans, aren't they? Making a, a diff, trying to make a difference to them in so many ways, just as my, both my parents did. And then my grandfather, so I come from a very working class background, first ever to go to university. There'd never been anyone before. Um, and um, my grandfather used to work on the um, uh, production line at Dagenham Fords. Um, and, uh, do you know, it's amazing. I've told that story. And the number of people whose dads or grandfathers worked at Dagenham Fords that I've got to met, and one of the co-founders of Spotify, grandfathers... Uh, yeah, no, his grandfather used to work at Dagenham Fords. Oh, wow. to say his dad, because I was chatting with him recently, uh, well, in, in, just before the pandemic, actually. And he was saying, you're kidding. Your granddad worked there? My granddad worked there too. And I'm very... So, um, and what he did was Fords would do something where if you, you were a worker on the front line and you made a suggestion to change the factory production process as it went down the production line and they, you came up with an idea and they incorporated it and made the change, you would get an extra week's holiday and £200. And my grandfather won it two months in a row. So everyone on the factory production line thought he was the most amazing person. And of course, as a small boy, I would have been seven or eight at the time. He bought a new mini um, out of that and um, got some extra holiday and he would tell us how proud he was because he'd made this change of doing it and it kind of gets into your head that actually someone I'd looked up to as my hero um, uh, and my granddad had gone and done something like that and I just and so you see these marker posts that you put your core values in life you can't choose them, not when you're young. It's what happens around you from your family and your friends and your culture and your environment. But if you can start to unlock those as you grow older, then you start to see why you like certain things, why you behave in certain ways and it feels right for you and true and authentic. But I guess see, I guess that became more clear to you after you had after you had this um, mentorship and and or coaching, I should say. And, but did you, did it ever occur to you whilst you were a doctor, whilst you were going through the early stages of medical school and then as a junior doctor did it ever occur to you that one day I'll be heading up some kind of innovation center within the NHS to help it no grow? not at all it's um what I knew was I was being true and authentic to myself and who I was and what I wanted to be and for me there was something about always about can I make a difference beyond that? I wanted to make a difference to the person who was in front of me, but could I make a difference to um, more people, 
how could I help uh, impact more lives and make them better? It's kind of amplifying the work my parents had done when I was young. And yeah, it's interesting. It's good now, there are some things you do that make you a bigger, better, brighter person. And I'd say always do those. And there are some things that make you a smaller, lesser person. And I would say try and stop doing those. They're not very good for you. And all the things that I was doing in trying to... Uh, I don't know, make a difference to other people's lives. It kind of made me feel bigger and better and brighter. And and, and that's a wonderful thing um, rather than, I don't know if I'd have gone to be, um, I'm, I've got nothing against bankers in the city and, 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 and the commercial objectives. I think it's very important to have, but had it just have been around, actually I can make more money for one of our clients it wouldn't have driven me or felt true or authentic or right for me. For some people it does. And that's great. Um, so so that actually provides a nice segue into, in, into the next question, um, which was, so, you know, we, we've, we've covered why, why you might have gone into this particular line of work um, within the NHS. Why do you think it's so important for the NHS and healthcare at large to be more entrepreneurial? in the way that you envision? Okay, um, so I think it's not just necessarily the way that I envision, um, although I accept as the National Clinical Libra people <laughs> listen yeah. um, to what I'm not always, um, uh, but I'm very happy to um, try and create the narrative around why that's a really important thing. So you know, the latest, greatest things that are changing our lives aren't all coming out of, you know, universities or big, you know government or other things you know some of them are coming out of the startup world some very small things um and and they're changing our lives they're changing the way we run and lead our lives and yet we're in healthcare, particularly in this country in the nhs were we embracing that entrepreneurial or startup mindset how are we leveraging that to help us address some of the challenges we face in healthcare? And the answer is, until about six years ago, we were doing the opposite of support entrepreneurs in the NHS, frankly. So you could be a, a, a clinician and train as a leader, train as an academic, and train as a teacher. But if you wanted to be an entrepreneur and a clinician in the NHS, we, we weren't supportive of that. Do you, do you, do you think that um, making entrepreneurs out of clinicians is a way of privatizing the NHS because that might be a criticism that some people might level. Okay, so I wouldn't share that view at all. And I think the perspective people have of that is completely wrong. And then what you have to understand is the Clinical Entrepreneur Programme, which I helped create and found, is about giving the workforce in the NHS commercial skills, knowledge and experience to help them transform patient care. You don't have to build the next Silicon Valley unicorn. It could be a social enterprise or charitable, or you could be an entrepreneur, someone who wants to bring that startup mindset to the challenges we face in healthcare and become a better leader. You know, you're not taught at medical school about profit and loss and balance sheets or cash flow or writing a business plan or case. But as a clinical director and leader, you're expected to step forward and be able to create that narrative in that case and work with your managers to help persuade your executives that we should be funding this new service. This is going to work and take that forward. Yes. So I think I think that's so I think that's an important distinction between what the CEP does and other 
startup accelerators, if you like, is that it's, this is not necessarily about creating a for-profit business that's going to do fantastically well over time and exit for billions and billions of pounds afterwards. You're, so you're correct, and it is completely not what other accelerators do because we are a workforce development programme, not a business support or accelerator system. So we take um, the amazing frontline staff in the National Health Service and give them the skills, knowledge and experience to, as I say, help bring that startup mindset to transform healthcare. Now, that could be through creating a commercial startup, social enterprise, charitable enterprise, or just by becoming, and we've got a number of, do you know, I had someone, he's an orthopedic surgeon from the West Midlands, who had got his own idea, I think it was about a consent company and something else, and it hadn't really gone anywhere, and the pandemic hit, but because of the skills he learnt on the programme, he was able, and the networks he'd made as well, he was able to create a virtual education and training platform where all the trainees across the West Midlands could go online, they could have some of their training and education, their meetings would be broadcast and they could come together on that, and people would list great clinical cases and put a whole load of other educational content there. And over the pandemic, that started to grow more and more, so much so that Health Education England have now commissioned that platform for the whole of the Midlands area. And now they've said, well, this is so good. And because what he's done is he's democratized, he's got the trainees building their own program and contributing their own high quality content. So I know the East of England region are now looking into that and Health Education England saying, well, actually, maybe this could be part of a natural, uh, national virtual offering we've got. Um, and that came out because this orthopedic surgeon came on the clinical entrepreneur program and learned about a different way of doing things. How do I make this business case? How do I bring the technology in? I don't understand how to do these things. But because he met right people and connections, suddenly trainees in that part of our country when the pandemic hit continued to get great education and progress in their careers and providing highly trained um, you know, junior doctors going through is a really important thing for the NHS. Now, I wasn't expecting that as an output of the entrepreneur program, but that's exactly what has happened. That's really, that's really an incredible story, and you, you've had some really great startups and, and entrepreneurs on your on your program before. I believe you just I, I, closed. I'm going to correct you. It's not mine program. It's um, uh, it's the it's an NHS England program. My something I learned early on um, from one of my old surgical bosses who um, would call the devices he'd have, would incorporate his surname into them. So people <laughs> loved him, that was great. And if they didn't like him, they would never buy it. So I mean, let me be quite clear, this is an NHS England clinical entrepreneur program. And I happen to be the person who's leading it now, but you know, maybe it'll be a year, two years down the line, we'll have grown new leadership forward, hopefully coming out of the program to start mm -hmm. taking over and leading it. Oh, and I was be someone who had the honor of helping getting it going. Fantastic. Yeah, so I, I, I believe you, the, the group closed uh, the last round of entrants for the next cohort just, just recently, right? So without naming names, unless you really want to, um, can you tell me about some of the ideas of the people coming through the program this year? So actually, as we speak right now, um, <laughs> applications are live and open. Oh, they are? Okay. Until about, uh, where are we? Till early November, I think the first week in November, they'll be open to. Um, but oh, we'll, put the, uh, we'll put the link in the podcast description. So if anyone's listening, if anyone's listening, yeah, no, we'd love to. Um, uh, if you look at uh, nhscep.com, you will find the uh, uh, the website. And 
Um, and so, so far, the numbers are looking around, I think there's about 300 applications been started. Um, we'll see how many of those are completed and, and, and finally submitted. I haven't started looking at the ideas coming through yet, but everyone says, because this is year six we're recruiting to now in, um, in uh, you know, we're saying, oh, after your first year or your first two years, you'll have used up and found all the great ideas in the system and the program <laughs> the way and die. And year on year, we've recruited more and more people with more and more just stunning ideas and clinicians who've really identified problems. And then we've helped them create solutions and then make them sustainable and then scale them. So, I mean, there are such stunning things. It's like asking me to pick what my favorite is. It's like saying, who's your favorite child? I'm not gonna <laughs> All of them are, um, you'll get me into trouble. Um, they, I mean, there is such a broad range of things. You know, I look at um, um, Tamsin Holland Brown from I think she two years ago came on, who's a paediatrician in Cambridge with her hear glue ear platform, taking the Raspberry Pi computer system, and a and she's been across the um, uh, some of the national papers recently. She just published her article in BMJ Innovations um, on her work um, about helping children who've got glue ear hear through the pandemic through taking some cycling bone conduction headphones combining them with this raspberry pi system and actually providing a very um, cost effective and affordable bone conduction hearing aid system for children who during the pandemic couldn't get grommets and we know if your hearing loss happens at a critical point in brain development it's never going to quite be the same afterwards so here was Tamsin providing these hearing um, sets right across the east of england region and beyond that and, and, and truly disruptive and a great female innovator and entrepreneur, you know, stepping forward against the odds and doing something absolutely, truly remarkable and wonderful, which is allowing our children to hear. And I go, and so you can see why I think it's a privilege. I'm going, yeah. you're just, you're, just, you're she's amazing, but we've got dozens of amazing You ones. mean 300 plus applications this year, you'll be going for six years. So I'm going to guess at a number of the number of applications around a thousand, more than a thousand over the six years. And how many of them actually got through? But uh, you take such a special interest in each company and each person that comes through the program. I mean, how do you keep on top of it all? Um, so I love people. Uh, it's a key <laughs> thing. And I always, people know if they come and have a business planning session with me or with me and one of our mentors, what they'll know is the first thing I want to know is your story. Who are you? What drives you? Why? What is your why? Why do you want to do this? Where do you want to be in five years? Why, why aren't you just, why aren't you in the middle of the normal distribution curve with everyone else going and doing the same thing we've always done? There's, and there's nothing wrong with that. And quite frankly, if the whole NHS became entrepreneurial, it would just collapse because no one would be doing any of the core work. <laughs> So yeah. it is really important, and I encourage our entrepreneurs still to get involved on the front line and, and carry on doing some of the core service delivery, as do I. I'm still a urological consultant at Southend. I do an all-day Do you clinic. still practice? You still do practice? Yeah. All-day clinic, all-day theatre list, mm. um, and um, still deliver those core services to patients, which are really important, but actually do other things uh, uh, outside of that in my... And, and you know, fulfil that kind of... That, creative urge that you know if you are a creative type then doing something like this around and and you know you feel empowered you feel that uh, all that level of autonomy that you can actually i can look at this problem 
and maybe I can make a real difference in this. And I think that's one of the beauties of the entrepreneur program. It's been, it's giving people autonomy and empowering them to help not just identify the problem and create the solution, but then get that taken up in the system and to take ownership of getting it taken up. And when that happens from the front line and you get permission and blessing from the top down, it, it kind of is a recipe that was working. It's working really well. At the moment, we've had over 700 people through the program. Um, uh, and it's really funny. Each of them have to do a video pitch. One, they, get, <laughs> they get very anxious about this because uh, I think uh, people aren't used to giving a one-minute pitch of themselves standing there doing it. Um, but, you know, I watch every – each year I watch every single video and um, – some of them are, and sometimes I'm, I, you know, uh, it's, it's almost you reduced to tears. Some of them are so humbling and authentic about the story and the journey they have, and others are just like total car crashes of what on earth the future. <laughs> and it goes from the most humbling, wonderful things to um, some people have sung their pitches and done it to poetry and, and done other things. And, 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 the, and the answer is some of them are just so amazing and authentic and wonderful. And it's just, and when you get to meet them, you just go, what an amazing group of people. And shouldn't the National Health Service have been supporting them all the time? And what other, but, you know, other industries mine the intellectual capital of their workforce for their greatest ideas. What are the problems? What are the ideas and solutions you have? And how can we help you do that? And, you know, we weren't doing that systematically in the National Health Service before this. And now at least we've started to make some inroads into And that. every single one of those people is a frontline NHS clinician and also so some are clinicians, some are managers, some are on the operational side. Um, and you know, um, we've got one or two, you mustn't say, um, I've got one or two patients. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, because I, I don't think they're gonna hopefully they're not gonna sack me for letting patients on. Oh, they I've managed to get them honorary appointments with the NHS, which is mm -hmm. how we've um, but the um, because if we don't bring everyone to the heart of redesigning healthcare and reimagining it, we need a broad diversity of thought and opinion and experience to get it right. And only if we do that, I think, will we get to where we really need to get to with having a healthcare system that delivers high quality um, uh, healthcare for everyone. Well, why not include patients? Because in the, the day you're there to serve them, okay. and. And um, I think this is one of the things that, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I wouldn't call myself an expert in healthcare entrepreneurship, but one of the things that seem to be very pertinent is the lack of focus on actual patients and just, just focusing on technology or focusing on a solution and not really understanding that there is a patient element. So I think that can be true in the startup, in the commercial world. The NHS has a real focus on patient and public involvement in all we do. And that's a core theme that runs through so many of our programs and our policies and things that we take forward. And it's really key on the entrepreneur program because that's what we're here for. We're here to help deliver amazing patient care. And that's what we, you know, that has to be at the heart of everything. That's awesome. Um, so, as you know, I have a special interest in AI and technology and, uh, and everything deep tech. What do you think needs to change, aside from the fact that, obviously, you, you, like you say, you're mining the intellectual 
property of, of the of the NHS through through its people. Um, capital, 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 capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think the NHS and the organisations around it can do to make um, adoption of those technologies a reality? Um, oh. It's like being in a cricket match and you've just bowled me a googly. Um, <laughs> so, um, such, a, such a nice, easy, straightforward question. Um, yeah, come on, 30 seconds gone. <laughs> it's, um, and so I don't think there is an easy, short answer for that. I think it's quite complex. Um, and there are a number of levels and, and layers in which you can answer is culture is a really, really important thing. And if we get that right, but there are a number of different ways of making sure whether you're looking at artificial intelligence or whether you're looking at any other form of technology, I'm not sure it makes that much of a difference on systems and processes that we put in place to help make that happen. Um, and I've, well, I've traveled across the world. I've been to Moscow and bits of Europe and Asia and the Americas now and looking at what they're doing. And I haven't found one place that has all the answers, um, but I found some really good examples of people doing really good work, but it often tends to be isolated and siloed away. And, and that's one of the beauties of the National Health Service because we are the fifth largest employer on the planet, and the largest employer of professionals on the planet. Um, we can actually, we have a critical mass where we can bring things together and kind of um, uh, and make them happen and produce policies and put them in place. So to give you an example of that at the moment, under the Clinical Entrepreneur Programme, we're just launching something called NHS Test and Evaluation Sites. So we've got 10 NHS partners signed up from up and down the country, from integrated care systems to large secondary care trusts to ambulance and mental health trusts um, to um, uh, create a data room between them. And in that data room will be your research and ethics approvals, your audit processes and approvals, your data sharing agreements, your outline business cases, your um, policies around working with industry and how you can take that forward, all the connections and contacts that are relevant to um, testing and trialing something in your site, and then um, uh, honorary contracts, that kind of thing, but agreed across the 10 partners so that actually, instead of having to go to however many, what is it, 400 separate NHS or trusts, if you look at the different mental health ambulance and secondary care and all that, um, and 42 integrated care systems and all the other things, instead of having to go to each different one and have a different set of paperwork and a different set of connections for each one, just imagine you went to one place, there was one form of truth, one yeah. set of forms, and you had access to everything. So we're trying, and I don't know why no one's ever done that before. Well, it's, it's one of the one of the fundamental bottlenecks, I think is one, one of the things that we've found as well, is that it's just, it's so fragmented, it's so difficult for a small So I'm looking, and do you know, that is something that has grown out of the entrepreneur program, because our entrepreneurs came to us and said exactly what you've just said. Yeah. It's difficult, it's fragmented, everywhere's different. How, and I'm going, why don't we try and draw that together? And that, so we're testing and trialing that now. And will that be one of the building blocks that we can put in place to try and help make the National Health Service more agile when it comes to adopting and spreading new technology across the system? And I think something like the NHS test and evaluation sites is really going to help with that. Well, that sounds that sounds absolutely amazing. I think that's really that's a really important step forward. Um, 
slight shift in the question here. So COVID for all of its ills um, has presented a massive opportunity for UK research and innovation to shine, I think. Um, what have been the highlights for you, if I can call them highlights, you know, I, I say that word with a with a. No, I, I I get what you say. I mean, it's 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 a it's been a horrible time, hasn't it? Not for um, just people who had COVID. I've had it twice now, um, and um, uh, and many people have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost colleagues at work. Um, I will have one of the consultants in my group in my urology group die. That was terrible. Um, earlier on, um, and and it's it, it has been a truly terrible time. But have we been able to do some things in the National Health Service that have really helped our fight against this um, uh, terrible disease? Yeah, we have. You know, if you look at the research that we did across um, uh, COVID, so intensive care units from across our nation, because we're one system, they pulled their data and they started sharing it. And you looked at um, the trials that came out that looked at um, the use of dexamethasone. So we were able to prove that that actually um, helped improve outcomes and save lives. And there were other medications that were being proposed by some around the world, which were found not to be beneficial at all. And we were able to dismiss them quite rapidly and say, no, this doesn't help and it doesn't work um, in what we're doing, as well as not just being involved in the vaccine trials, um, but also the rollout of those, but doing it in a safe and secure way where you have the trust of the population. And, you know, we've got one of the highest vaccinated populations in the world now. And although life's not totally back to normal and we're going to get used to the new normal of what we're doing um, and who knows what's going to happen in the winter moving forward, we've had a system with various um, uh, processes and, and things in place that have allowed us to help provide the research evidence for treatment of things and help us provide some of the things like the vaccines that have and, and been world leading in that that are going to help us get out of the space that we're in. So um, I think the NHS has, when you look at other countries and what they've done, we really led the world in our um, response, particularly around research and unified across our system and the uh, um, leading way we've not just helped develop vaccines, but then rolled them out and delivered them to our population. I love it that we've, we've gone to the last question of the podcast on that note, because it's so, it's so important to recognise to recognise what the NHS and the life sciences community has done in this country, not just for us, but really the whole world, right? Um, we're at the end. Uh, we do a quick fire set of questions right at the end. One sentences or maybe one word as answers. So here we go. You're playing my, my own tricks on me now. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you said that to me one first time we met, actually. So, okay, man, you're taking too long. Just... Give it to me in one sentence. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, how long does it take you to do your hair in the morning? Uh, no time at all. That is. But it always <laughs> looks beautiful. Uh, look at look. It, it is it's the beauty of having long hair. Is that you know it's just nothing. <laughs> um, no times. Yeah, but you know it's really odd. I know you said this was short answers. Okay. The number of people. That, and maybe they think it's just because I'm from Essex, that Essex men are <laughs> about talking about this, they come up to me and say, 
what product you put on your hair. And I'm talking about some quite senior leaders across our nation. <laughs> that I'm going, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> and the thing is, I think I kind of embrace it because I grew a short beard about six or seven years ago and you shouldn't really have a beard as a surgeon, I had kind of thought. And then I wasn't going bald, so I let my hair grow longer. And um, and I go, you know, so no one else kind of looks like this and I get why no one else looks like it. <laughs> throwback. I go, you know, it just, you shouldn't, what you see on the surface is not necessarily what you're going to get underneath. And I hope I'm a really good surgeon that provides excellent services to the people of South End. Um, And I also hope that in my national role and what we do, we can be leading. So actually go on what someone really does and delivers and, and, and who they are rather than what they look like. Is I think that's probably what I'm trying to say with that. <laughs> You're in the middle of lockdown. You can't leave home. What's the first thing Tony Young watches on Netflix? Um, oh, uh, ne- well, I don't know what's on Netflix. Okay, on, on, on online TV or TV series. Gosh, what did I watch? I did so. I did um, uh, with my children watch um, Game of Thrones. I'd never seen it before, and we. Oh, it's it. good, isn't it? And it's. It's good, but you know, it's really. I didn't think we were going to. It's really difficult to watch with your children (laughs) early series because of the graphic nature of some of it. But I'm a urologist, so nothing um, actually phases me. I don't need. (laughs) And it promoted really good conversations with my two teenage children. The little one doesn't watch it with us around depiction of these kind of graphic scenes and events in the media and promoted some really healthy conversations around what was good and what wasn't good and about online content that you can get access to. So it actually was really helpful in having open conversations with my children about that. And I wasn't expecting that to come from Game of Thrones. (laughs) Once restrictions ease, will your first destination be a caravan in Wales or a five-star hotel in the sun? Oh, so there's absolutely no question about it. I love caravans in Wales. Um, Wales is one of my favourite places. I've been to the west coast, to the north, to the south. And I have stayed in little temporary, um, not mobile caravans, but permanent static ones. (laughs) And in other places too. Uh, Wales is... If, if heaven was on earth, it could, could it be Scotland? Could it be Wales? It, <laughs> both, both. I've been to Northern Ireland as well, actually. That's quite beautiful. And parts of England. Yeah, definitely. A hot, hot sun is nice. Don't get me wrong. I kind of love... Staycation for you. Yeah. Nice. If you could only be a doctor or a health tech entrepreneur, which would it be? Um... Gosh, that's really difficult. Um, um, I uh, it would have to be entrepreneur, and the reason is because you told me it's just a doctor. Or if it was a doctor that had an amazing research portfolio that I could go and discover something that would make a big difference, I would have chosen that. But you didn't. No, you didn't say I could have another research interest. So if you're saying, and whereas an entrepreneur. You could go and change healthcare at scale across the planet. So it's about what could I make the biggest difference in? How about how about if you could uh, how about if you could be anything but those two things? What would it be? Um, ooh, 
it would have to be something creative, something doing something new and different that used my mind and my talents. You know, I've got a free education largely, and it's the most amazing thing and an honor and being able to utilize your talents to the benefit of your fellow humans. So it will be something that delivered that. I'm not going to try and straightjacket myself with okay. saying one or another. It would still be about making a difference. Have you, oh, you kind of answered this already in one of the previous questions, but have you ever laughed in anyone's face after they did their elevator pitch? Don't say you laughed in mine. No. Um, so I, I would never, I would never be rude to someone directly and yeah. laugh. Have I, have I smirked to myself <laughs> watching their videos and things? Yes. Um, have I heard some of the most humbling pitches and, um, uh, uh, you know, stories that people have told. Um, uh, absolutely. But everyone gets credit for standing up and having a go. And do you know what they're doing? They're all sharing a little bit of their dream with me. And I totally respect them for that. Even though you might make me smile sometimes. I recall the guy, he's an anaesthetist from Eastbourne, who um, did his pitch. It was a poem of why he was going to change the NHS and innovation was going to help. And that really made me smile. Um, I'm always humbled by the effort people put into these things and their dedication and their commitment. And I want to encourage them to, you know, to live their dreams and exploit them and, 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 and develop them and grow them. Um, and uh, hope I would never trample on them. But that said, when you've got a startup business and um, you know, you're making a number of fundamental errors, Although I will love you and tell you how wonderful what's going, you what you know how wonderful you are as a human being, what you're doing. I'll go. There's a number of assumptions you've made in this business that you know they don't stack up, and we've got to risk mitigate them. We've got to do something, or this thing is going to collapse. In my experience, so I will tell people straight. Uh, the entrepreneurs um, sometimes call business planning sessions with me. Um, I didn't know this. They were talking about it behind my back, and then I got to hear one day you're going for an espresso of truth session with them. <laughs> and it, it, is, it is kind of like that. You get a condensed yeah. bit of, this is what I think is going on. What are we going to do about it? like it. In one word, what do you think is the next big thing in healthcare innovation? Well, that's really easy. Go on. So, because it's the same thing that's always been the big thing in the health innovation. I'm not sure I can do it in one word unless I join the workforce. Go on, go on, a few more words in one word. With our workforce, it's human beings. It's, the, it's something that we've been evolving for millions of years. We are the most amazing, incredible thing. Um, how do we utilize artificial intelligence, personalized medicine, all the advanced technology and digital mm. health and other things? to give us the time to make that empathetic connection with our patients and the people we look after. There is nothing better in healthcare innovation than the workforce of the National Health Service. Sajid Javid, right man for the job at this point or should have stuck with Hancock? Uh, so I don't answer political questions. Oh, damn. No, okay, fair enough, fair enough. You can, fair you enough. can answer that. The minister is chosen by our democracy and it is my privilege and honour to get to work with our health ministers, whoever they are and wherever they're from. 
And my experience of several, not just health ministers, but others, is, you know, they really want to try and make things better, whatever political persuasion they're from. And my job is to be there and, and, and help them do that. And it's an absolute privilege and joy of my life to do that. Fantastic. Last one. If there's just one thing you could change about the NHS with a snap of the fingers, what would it be? And do sort of one thing I change about the oh, with a snap but, of the fingers. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Um, oh, so you're asking me? I'm giving myself some time to think. A a a, a solution that yeah. Well, that, that can magically appear. I, do you know what? I would like the NHS to be the best place to work for your physical, mental, and emotional health. And if I could make it for our workforce, our workforce around the patients we serve are, are, are the absolute focus of what we need to do. But if, but they're always going to be there. And I'm sure we want to give, deliver great care. But do you know, we need to support and look after our workforce. So if I could snap my fingers and make one change, make the NHS the best place to work for your physical, mental, and emotional health. And anything I can do to help make that happen, I will 100% do. Professor Tony Young, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for asking. It was quite fun. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> thanks for listening to Startup Talk Up. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit the ratings button from wherever you got it, which will really help us to grow our audience. If you're feeling generous, please also check out the links in the description and donate to the charities that we are currently supporting. Thanks once again and see you next time.